Hello, and welcome to The Big Snore. In each episode, I will read a passage from a book, an article, a magazine that runs about 15 to 20 minutes. You can choose to listen to this as a bedtime story or just a story at any time of the day. Today, the passage I'm reading is from Haruki Murakami's book, Cutine 84. Tango took a morning special express train from Tokyo Station to Tateyama, changed there to a local, and rode it as far as Chikura. The morning was clear and beautiful. There was no wind, and there was hardly a wave to be seen on the ocean. Summer was long gone. He wore a thin cotton jacket over a short-sleeved shirt, which turned out to be exactly right for the weather. Without bathers, the seaside town was surprisingly deserted and quiet. Like a real town of cats, Tango thought. He had a simple lunch by the station and took a taxi to the sanatorium, arriving just after one o'clock. The same middle-aged nurse greeted him at the reception desk, the woman who had taken his phone call the night before, Nurse Tamura. She remembered Tango and was somewhat friendlier than she had been the first time, even managing a little smile, perhaps influenced by Tango's nicer outfit. She guided Tango first to the lunchroom and poured him a cup of coffee. Please wait here. The doctor will come to see you, she said. Ten minutes later, his father's doctor appeared, drying his hands with a towel. Flecks of white were beginning to appear among the stiff hairs of his head. He was probably around 50. He was not wearing a white jacket, as if he had just completed some task. Instead, he wore a gray sweatshirt, matching gray sweatpants, and an old pair of jogging shoes. He was well-built and looked less like a doctor than a college sports coach who had never been able to rise past Division II. The doctor told Tango pretty much the same thing he had said on the phone the night before. Judging from his expression and his words, he seemed genuinely saddened when he said, I'm sorry to say there is almost nothing we can do for him medically at this point. The only thing left to do is let him hear his son's voice. It might enhance his will to live. Do you think he can hear what people say? Tango asked. The doctor frowned thoughtfully as he sipped his lukewarm green tea. To tell you the truth, not even I know the answer to that. Your father is in a coma. He shows absolutely no physical response when we speak to him. There have been cases, though, where someone in a deep coma has been able to hear people talking and sometimes even understand what was being said. But you can't tell by looking at them. No, we can't. I can stay here until 6.30 tonight, Tango said. I'll sit with him all day and talk to him as much as possible. Let's see if it does any good. Please let me know if he shows any kind of reaction, the doctor said. I'll be around here somewhere. A young nurse showed Tango to his father's room. She wore a name badge that read Adachi. His father had been moved to a private room in the new wing, the wing for more serious patients. In other words, the gears had advanced one more notch. There was nowhere else to move after this. It was a drab little room, long and narrow, and more than half filled by the bed. Beyond the window stretched the pine woods that acted as a windbreak. The dense grove looked like a wall, separating the sanatorium from the vitality of the real world. The nurse went out, leaving Tango alone with his father, who lay on his back, sound asleep. Tango sat on a small wooden stool by the bed and looked at his father. Near the head of the bed stood an intravenous feeding device, the liquid in its plastic bag being sent into a vein in his father's arm through a tube.
a catheter had been inserted to catch urine, surprisingly little of which had been collected. His father seemed to have shrunk another size or two since the month before. His emaciated cheeks and chin were perhaps two days' growth of white beard. His father had always had sunken eyes, but now they were more deeply set than ever. Tango couldn't help wondering if it might be necessary to pull the eyeballs up from their holes with some kind of medical device. His eyelids were tightly shut at the bottoms of those caverns like lowered shutters, and his mouth was slightly open. Tango couldn't hear his father's breathing, but bringing his ear close, he could feel the slight movement of air. Life was being quietly maintained there at a minimal level. The doctor's words on the phone last night, like a train dropping its speed little by little as it begins to stop, began to feel terribly real to Tango. This father train was gradually lowering its speed, waiting for its momentum to run down and preparing to come to a quiet stop in the middle of an empty prairie. At least there was no longer a single passenger aboard, no one to raise a complaint, even if the train came to a halt. That was the only salvation. Tango felt he ought to start talking to his father, but he did not know what he should say, how he should say it, or what tone of voice to use. All right, say something, he told himself, but no meaningful words came to mind. Father, he ventured in a whisper, but no other words followed. He got up from the stool, approached the window, and looked at the well-tended lawn and garden and the sky stretching high above the pine woods. A solitary crow sat perched on a large antenna, glaring at the area with disdain as it caught the sunlight. A combination transistor radio alarm clock had been placed near the head of the bed, but his father required neither of its functions. It's me, Tango. I just came from Tokyo. Can you hear me? He said, standing at the window looking down at his father, who did not respond at all. After vibrating in the air for a moment, the sound of his voice was absorbed without a trace by the void that had come to occupy the room. This man is trying to die, Tango thought. He could tell by looking at the deeply sunken eyes. He made up his mind to end his life, and then he closed his eyes and went into a deep sleep. No matter what I say to him, no matter how much I try to rouse him, it will be impossible to overturn his resolution. Medically speaking, he was still alive, but life had already ended for this man. He no longer had the reason or the will to continue to struggle. All that Tango could do was respect his father's wishes and let him die in peace. The look on his face was utterly tranquil. He did not seem to be suffering at all. As the doctor had said on the phone, that was the one salvation. Still, Tango had to speak to his father, if only because he had promised the doctor that he would do so. The doctor seemed to be caring for his father with genuine warmth. Secondly, there was the question of what he thought of as courtesy. Tango had not had a full-fledged conversation with his father for a very long time, not even small talk. The truth was that Tango had probably been in middle school the last time they had had a real conversation. Tango hardly ever went near their home after that, and even when he had some business that required him to go to the house, he did his best to avoid seeing his father. 
Now, having made a de facto confession to Tango that he was not his real father, the man could lay down his burden at last. He looked in some way relieved. That meant that each of us was able to lay down his burden at the last possible moment. Here was the man who had raised Tango as his own son, listing him as such in the family register, despite the absence of blood ties, and raising him until he was old enough to fend for himself. I owe him that much. I have some obligation to tell him how I have lived my life thus far, as well as some of the thoughts I have had in the course of living that life, Tango thought. No, it's not so much an obligation as a courtesy. It doesn't matter if the things I'm saying reach his ears, or whether telling him serves any purpose. Tango sat on the stool by the bed once again and began to narrate a summary of his life to date. Beginning from the time he left the house and started living in the judo dorm when he entered high school. From that time onward, he and his father had lost nearly all points of contact, creating a situation in which neither had the least concern for what the other was doing. Tango felt he should probably fill in such a large vacuum as best he could. Ultimately, however, there was almost nothing for Tango to tell about his life in high school. He had entered a private high school in Chiba Prefecture that had a strong reputation for its judo program. He could easily have gotten into a better school, but the conditions offered him by that school were the best. They waived his tuition and allowed him to live in the dormitory, providing him with three meals a day. Tango became a star member of the judo team, studied between practice sessions, he could maintain some of the highest grades in his class without having to study too hard, and he earned extra money during vacations by doing assorted manual labor with his teammates. With so much to do, he found himself pressed for time day after day. There was little to say about his three years of high school other than that it was a busy time for him. It had not been especially enjoyable, nor had he made any close friends. He never liked the school, which had a lot of rules. He did what he had to do in order to get along with his teammates, but they weren't really on the same wavelength. In all honesty, Tango never once felt totally committed to judo as a sport. He needed to win in order to support himself, so he devoted a lot of energy to practice in order not to betray others' expectations. It was less a sport to him than a practical means of survival, a job. He spent the three years of high school wanting to graduate so that he could begin living a more serious life as soon as possible. Even after entering college, however, he continued with judo, living basically the same life as before. Keeping up his judo meant he could live in the dormitory and thus be spared any difficulty in finding a place to sleep or food to eat, minimal though it was. He also received a scholarship, though it was nowhere nearly enough to get by on. His major was mathematics, of course. He studied fairly hard and earned good grades in college, too. His advisor even urged him to continue into graduate school. As he advanced into the third year, and then the fourth year of college, however, his passion for mathematics as an academic discipline rapidly cooled. He still liked mathematics as much as ever, but he had no desire to make a profession of research in the field. It was the same as it had been with judo. It was fine as an amateur endeavor, but he had neither the personality nor the drive to stake his whole life on it, which he well knew. As his interest in mathematics waned and his college graduation drew near, his reasons for continuing judo evaporated, and he had no idea what path he should next pursue. His life 
seemed to lose its center of gravity. Not that he had ever really had one, but up to that point, other people had placed certain demands and expectations upon him, and responding to them had kept him busy. Once those demands and expectations disappeared, however, there was nothing left worth talking about. His life had no purpose. He had no close friends. He was drifting and unable to concentrate his energies on anything. He had a number of girlfriends during his college years and a lot of sexual experience. He was not handsome in the usual sense. He was not a particularly sociable person, nor was he especially amusing or witty. He was always hard up for money and wasn't at all stylish. But just as the smell of certain kinds of plants attracts moths, Tango was able to attract certain kinds of women, and very strongly at that. He discovered this fact around the time he turned 20, which was just about the time he began losing his enthusiasm for mathematics as an academic discipline. Without doing anything about it himself, he always had women who were interested enough to take the initiative in approaching him. They wanted him to hold them in his big arms, or at least they never resisted him when he did so. He couldn't understand how this worked at first and reacted with a good deal of confusion, but eventually he got the hang of it and learned how to exploit his ability, after which Tango was rarely without a woman. He never had a positive feeling of love toward any of them, however. He just went with them and had sex with them. They filled each other's emptiness. Strange as it may seem, he never once felt a strong emotional attraction to any of the women who had a strong emotional attraction to him. Tango recounted those developments to his unconscious father, choosing his words slowly and carefully at first, more smoothly as time went by, and finally with some passion. He even spoke as honestly as he could about sexual matters. There's no point getting embarrassed about such things now, he told himself. His father lay face up, unmoving, his deep sleep unbroken, his breathing unchanged. A nurse came before three o'clock, changed the plastic bag of intravenous fluid, replaced the bag of collected urine with an empty one, and took his father's temperature. She was a strongly built, full-bosomed woman in her late thirties. The name on her tag read Omura. Her hair was pulled into a tight bun on the back of her head, with a ballpoint pen thrust into it. Has there been any change in his condition? She asked Tango, while recording numbers on a clipboard with the ballpoint pen. None at all. He's been fast asleep the whole time, Tango said. Please push that button if anything happens, she said, pointing toward the call switch hanging over the head of the bed. Then she shoved the ballpoint pen back into her hair. I see. Shortly after the nurse went out, there was a quick knock on the door, and bespectacled nurse Tamora poked her head in. Would you like to have a bite to eat? You could go to the lunchroom. Thanks, but I'm not hungry yet, Tango said. How is your father doing? Tango nodded. I've been talking to him the whole time. I can't tell whether he can hear me or not. It's good to keep talking to them, she said. She smiled encouragingly. Don't worry, I'm sure he can hear you. She closed the door softly. Now it was just Tango and his father in the little room again. Tango went on talking. He graduated from college and started teaching mathematics at a cram school in the city. No longer was he a math prodigy from whom people expected great things, nor was he a promising member of a judo team. 
He was a mere cram school instructor, but that very fact made Tango happy. He could catch his breath at last. For the first time in his life, he was free. He could live his own life as he wanted to without having to worry about anyone else. Eventually, he started writing fiction. He entered a few of his finished stories in competitions, which led him to become acquainted with a quirky editor named Komatsu. This editor gave him the job of rewriting Air Chrysalis, a story by a 17-year-old girl named Fuka Eri, whose real name was Eriko Fukada. Fuka Eri had created the story, but she had no talent for writing, so Tango took on that task. He did such a good job that the piece won a debut writer's prize from a magazine, and then was subsequently published as a book that became a huge bestseller. Because the book was so widely discussed, the selection committee for the Akudagawa Prize, the most prestigious literary award, kept their distance from it. So while it did not win that particular prize, the book sold so many copies that Komatsu, in his typically brusque way, said, who the hell needs that? Tango had no confidence that his story was reaching his father's ears, and even if it was, he had no way of telling whether or not his father was understanding it. He felt his words had no impact and he could see no response. Even if his words were getting through, Tango had no way of knowing if his father was even interested. Maybe the old man just found them annoying. Maybe he was thinking, who gives a damn about other people's life stories? Just let me sleep. All Tango could do, though, was continue to say whatever came to his mind. He couldn't think of anything better to do while crammed into this little room with his father. His father never made the slightest movement. His eyes were closely, close tightly, at the bottom of those two deep, dark hollows. He might as well have been waiting for winter to come and the hollows to fill up with snow. I can't say that things are going all that well for the moment, but if possible, I'd like to make my living by writing. Not just rewriting somebody else's work, but writing what I want to write, the way I want to write it. Writing, and especially fiction writing, is well suited to my personality, I think. It's good to have something you want to do, and now I finally have it. Nothing of mine has ever been published with my name on it, but that ought to happen soon enough. And I'm really not a bad writer. If I do say so myself, at least one editor gives me some credit for my talent. I'm not worried on that front. And I seem to have the qualities needed to be a receiver, Tango thought of adding. So much so that I have been drawn into the fictional world that I myself have written. But this was no place to start talking about such complicated matters. That was a whole different story. He decided to change the subject. A more pressing problem for me is that I have never been able to love anyone seriously. I have never felt unconditional love for anyone since the day I was born, never felt that I could give myself completely to that one person, never once. Even as he said this, Tango found himself wondering if this miserable-looking old man before him had ever experienced loving someone with his whole heart. Perhaps he had seriously loved Tango's mother, which may have been why he was willing to raise Tango as his own child, even though he knew they had no blood tie. If so, that meant he had lived a far more spiritually fulfilling life than Tango. You were listening to The Big Snore. That was a passage from Haruki Murakami's book, Q-Teen 84. Until next time. <laughs>